I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and safety tips. And we are welcoming a friend of mine that's been on before. She's wonderful. Let me tell you, we are welcoming Patricia Winskunas, who is the founder and CEO for Crime Survivors. And now she is also the head of the new Orange County Crime Stoppers. And you can find out more about that at crimestoppers.org. But I am just thrilled that you joined us again, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate the opportunity. Well, that you get, do such great work, Patricia. What? Tell my audience, what is Orange County Crime Stoppers? Orange County Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit organization working with the community, law enforcement, and the news media to help solve crimes. It is a anonymous tip line that you can call in, and if you see a crime, if you see something in your neighborhood, your business, wherever you're at, you see a crime being committed, you can call in anonymously. No one, not even our organization, not law enforcement, will know who's calling. So that way we can kind of partner with the community to solve these crimes, to make an arrest, and keep the criminals off the street. That sounds good. So who's involved with the Orange County Crime Stoppers? As of right now, we are in the process of forming a board of directors. So if anyone is interested in joining the board, presently I'm the founder CEO, and then we have Justin Hodson, which is also a board member that's come on. And then right now, the Orange County Sheriff's Department is the lead agency for Orange County in collaboration and partnership with more than the 25 law enforcement agencies here in Orange County. Well, that is terrific. Why don't you give the website again, and then we'll have you back again. Great. It's www.occrimestoppers.org. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to success and several other books to listen to previous interviews see upcoming guests download podcasts and learn more visit www.conflicthealing.com so mari what's your show about today well lloyd today our show is about forgiveness and we're actually going to be speaking with a novelist actually it's his first novel jeffrey hepburn let me tell you a little bit about his background jeffrey hepburn is a graduate of harvard university and massachusetts institute of technology and he worked most of his career in the international 
professional oil industry and on Wall Street before retiring to become a fiction writer. He combined his life story with elements of fiction to pen his first novel, Fate, Choice, and Chance, An Immigrant's Quest. And I, I found this book in Radio TV Interview Magazine, and although we usually do nonfiction, I thought, you know, this is an, a, a different way to go about it, but we're still talking about forgiveness and what people learn and grow, and it's quite autobiographical as well, because um, Fate and Chance is is really somewhat about Jeffrey's life. You know, he, he grew up in a small prairie town in Canada before coming to the United States to complete his graduate education, and um, so this is a little bit about him, which, you know, most novels are part of the people who, who write the novels, so thank you so much for joining us from the East Coast, Jeffrey. Mari, thank you for inviting me to uh, participate in your program. So, yeah, so you had a kind of a, a very left-brained career, right? And then how is it that you decided to write this book? Well, it um, started after I retired. Uh, my daughter said, you know, she didn't know that much about my early life. Would I write my memoirs? Um, which I did. And uh, I gave copies to my uh, wife and my daughter and uh, to some friends. And my daughter remarked, you know, parts of your memoir, my memoirs sound like a novel. So that <laughs> set me on this idea of writing my first novel. And, um, you know, some of the features of this novel are autobiographical, but, you know, the fiction is all, or, or fiction is uh, woven in with the fact. Um, but uh, what I try to do here is distill some of the experiences and lessons that I learned uh, during my life and my career. Yeah. So talk about the central theme of your book, Fate, Choice, and Chance. Uh, the central theme is uh, the search for forgiveness and reconciliation with the past. There are a number of conflicts in this book. Uh, one is <clears throat> the desire of uh, the main character in this novel to escape from uh, the poverty and hardship of his, of his youth. Um, another is the, well, there, 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 he, is, he sort of cuts himself off from his past, but is drawn back to a reconciliation with the past when on a business trip uh, to Toronto, he uh, encounters a mysterious stranger and they begin talking about a murder that occurred in the high school, uh, which he had attended many years before. Sort of ironic in view of uh, the recent school shootings that we've experienced in oh, Connecticut. Yeah, so sad. Um, and that conversation draws him back to the town of his childhood for the first time in decades. And he begins, uh, he revisits uh, his life, his experiences, uh, and embarks on this journey toward uh, reconciliation with the past, with the traditions that he has been trying to escape, the experiences he's been trying to escape, and also to forgiveness of the people who trampled on his youthful dreams and ambitions and prompted his decision to emigrate to the United States. Um, that, that, that's one of the conflicts. Now, so the, the second conflict, of course, is that shooting in the high school. There are two examples about how most of us, however long we live, encounter uh, some setback or tragedy. There are two examples in this book of how to deal with uh, tragedies or setbacks. The first is the father of the student who was shot in the high school. He was an Anglican minister. student was... Um, who the victim was uh, a good kid, certainly not the sort of person who would have bullied the, the, the student that went on the rampage with the gun. Nonetheless, he turned out to be the innocent victim. The experience could have broken the father, but instead, uh, the father takes advantage of a nationally broadcast funeral service in Canada to forgive the murderer of his son, and thereafter he embarks on a campaign to stop bullying in schools because of the scars. Uh, many people, emotional scars, many people experience from this bullying. Um, he 
turns his life in a constructive direction. Instead of being embittered, he makes something of his life. He, he goes on with his life. Then you have the example of the main character in uh, uh, the book, someone who compartmentalizes his life. There is the Canadian past about which he rarely speaks. He tries to forget. There is the American present. And for 30 years, you know, he lives the life of a fairly successful businessman in, in New York. Only late in his life does he realize um, the sacrifices that he that he has made. He's cut off from his family, from the country of his birth, gradually moves back. Well, he, he retraces his past and forgives uh, some of the people who were decisive in changing the course of his life because he had certain dreams and ambitions, goals that he wanted to pursue. And because of certain things that happened, his life changed dramatically. So um, forgiveness helps you, I think, because, I mean, ideally, forgiveness leads to reconciliation. Uh, that isn't always possible. Sometimes the, per- the person with whom you have the conflict doesn't want reconciliation, or the person may have moved away, may not be accessible, or uh, the other possibility, of course, is the person has died. But even so, if you forgive, you, you can move on with your life. The past no longer uh, darkens your present. Uh, you can move on with your life, make something constructive of it. So in your own life, Jeffrey, did you find this forgiveness after you retired? Was this something that came like a epiphany to you? Uh, well, I would say writing the book, even though it is partly fictional, was a sort of self-administered therapy because it helped me to think through many of the things that happened in my own life and that have happened in the lives of people that I know. Um, so it, it clarified my thinking and uh, I, I think helped me to overcome some of the, the bad memories of the past because the tendency is, you know, if you're tired or sad about something, the bad memories of, of the past can return. If you go through this process of forgiveness, um, the bad memories of the past, I mean, you can never escape the past completely, but the bad memories of the past no longer control your present life. Or you can reinterpret those differently. You know, for me, you know, I, I was just talking with a client today and when, and she, I, I'm doing their divorce mediation and at first she was just devastated. You know, he got a younger girlfriend and she just was furious and angry and hurt and all these things. And months later now, she's seeing so many things that she was in denial about in that marriage and she's so much really happier with herself now um, that she says, gee, I see this whole thing so differently now. I'm I'm not angry. I, I think it's actually a blessing in disguise. So so sometimes when we look back at things, we can reinterpret them because of what we have experienced in our lives since then. Is that I something? I agree. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a very important point, and it is something that I would, uh, I, 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 I make that point in my book, that certain memories of the past, which had been interpreted very negatively when you rethink them, um, actually some of the things that happened to you in the past were very beneficial. Yes, yeah. If you think about everything in your life as being a lesson and blessing in disguise, then then it is, because we can learn from all these things. You know what, in your book where the um, the father is able to forgive the murderer of his son, um, it reminded me a lot about Azim Kamisa, who, whose son at 18 was killed by a 14-year-old gang member down in San Diego, and as a result, obviously he was devastated, like the father and in the book, but he wanted to do something good up about it because he thought that there were victims on both sides of the gun. And so he started the Tariq Kamisa Foundation. And instead of like dealing basically with bullies, his foundation is dealing with um, stopping drug and uh, stopping uh, uh, gangs, you know, gangs, because the gangs were the ones that put this kid up to it to kill his son. Right. And so that's what he's done. He's gone through so many schools in San Diego and has this foundation just changed 
changed his entire life and he's trying to get the child his child's murderer out of prison to help him because he has actually co-formed this foundation with this this uh, with Tony who was the killer with Tony's grandfather who was his guardian and so the grandfather you know but the, both of them he said were victims so they started this foundation and it's been going on for years and making tremendous changes in people's lives so so I think you know that that theme of what forgiveness can do how it can help you heal from such pain that um, that's a, that's a really important point too what were your thoughts about that when you were writing that um, that um, you mean about the the, the, the murder in the yeah, high school? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, about think, the father. I think I think the uh, what the father did was remarkable. I think very few of us, uh, the person that you just cited in San Diego, yeah, uh, this individual. I yeah. mean, they did something that ninety nine point nine percent of us could not do. Yes, yes. But look at what a gift it was to him, and that's what he says. He says that if he were hateful, it would have eaten him alive. And he knew that the best way to honor his son's memory was to do something that would help this to. to stop this kind of random kill, you know, this random killing. So, um, so I, I just thought that was an interesting parallel about what happened in your book with what happened with, you know, with us in Camisa. Was this really true, what happened with that father? Yes. Oh, see, another it one. It happened uh, around the same time as the Columbine shooting in Colorado, mm. uh, which is maybe why it didn't receive a lot of newspaper coverage mm-hmm. or media coverage in the United States, but it did happen. Now, is he still doing um, work with cyberbullying nowadays? Do you know? Yes, he he is. he is, yeah. See, this is such an inspiration for the for those of us who who want to forgive, maybe, and and have trouble for doing it. That that is such an incredible in- inspiration for us. And so, as you were writing this, you said that this was part of your own, you know, catharsis, your own therapy, so to speak. Um, were you able to forgive everybody that you felt you needed to forgive? Well, in my concluding chapter of the book, I list a variety of people, a long list of people. Um, I think the book deals only with forgiveness of, of uh, crucial characters. I mean, there are, there are many grievances that you pick up you know, or pick up along the way in a, in a career, for instance. Um, not everything is forgiven, but I think the example that, I mean, the, the course begun in the concluding chapter is will be followed uh, through the remainder of the individual's life. And in fact, all the, the other people who are not explicitly forgiven will be forgiven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are speaking with Jeffrey Hepburn, who is the author of his first novel, Fate, Choice, and Chance, and immigrants quest. So what about leaving, leaving Canada and coming to the United States? You know, I, I kind of laughed about this um, cartoon I saw once and it, it basically showed um, this couple, these these two owls in a tree and this one owl says to the other, you stink and I'm getting out of here. And he goes to the next nest and he says, you stink and I'm getting out of here. And it, he goes and does this several times and then he gets to the final nest and you see him turn sideways and he's got this little turd that um, hangs off of his bottom and the the moral is you take your stuff with you you take your turd with you wherever you go <laughs> and so I was thinking you know whatever we resist in our lives really seems to persist I know that for me that if I don't want to deal something it's going to come in my face again well um, and you know one of the themes about this book is that you can escape the past maybe successfully for 
for uh, long periods of time in your life, but ultimately the past comes back and starts intruding into the present. Uh, <clears throat> and if you can find a formula for uh, reconciling with the past, forgiving some of the things that happened in the past, uh, you're uh, you're in much better in a much better state. So let's let's but, yeah, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know the um, I mean the the individual. I mean it's a it's it's a long it's the much of the um, the novel is sort of a, a flashback to things that happened happened in the past. It's set against the backdrop. I mean, it's it um, concerns a post-war baby boomer, mm-hmm. you know, a middle-aged businessman who, who reflects on what has happened in, in his life and his career. Right. And it's set against the innocent 1950s and uh, the civil rights movement of the 1960s, 70s, the Vietnam War, the financial crisis uh, that we've recent that we are still experiencing or recovering from. So it's um, I think it's the sort of book that will appeal to post-war baby boomers mm-hmm. because of the common experiences. There's, but, l- there's uh, lots of us. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it also will appeal to anyone who has ever experienced uh, a tragedy or a major setback, which, uh, you know, if you live long enough, you will at some point. Mm-hmm. And everybody has something that they have to forgive or somebody, everybody has some resentments and anger that, you know, that they didn't resolve. I mean, if if they could resolve all of their anger and they never carried anything with them, they probably would be angels by now and they wouldn't be on this planet to have to deal with it. But um, each of us has something to forgive. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Yeah. And so what what is the process of forgiveness for you? What kind of what you know, what are the stages that that or what is the the path, the journey through forgiveness? I think um, contemplation, um, you know, just sitting quietly, thinking about things. Writing a book is actually a wonderful way of thinking about what has happened in your own life. Um, Of course, um, meditation and prayer are, are, are very helpful as well, I think. I mean, this book is not only about reconciliation with the past, it's about a reconciliation with God, because uh, the individual goes through a period in his life when, uh, you know, he doesn't go to church, um, and there, there, there's a long stretch in his adult life when he never attends church, doesn't pray, that sort of thing. It's also, so the book is more about reconciliation with the past, it's reconciliation with God, and in the process, you um, are able to forgive, or you, you learn how to forgive. I know for me, when I think about forgiveness and when I deal with my clients, because I deal with people who are angry, right? I mean, that's my living. I, I am a right. mediator. I sit in a room with people who are angry and try and help them to resolve the issues. And part of resolving the issues is to move on. And part of moving on is forgiving. And if you don't forgive, it hurts you. You know, it's like they say that unforgiveness is like taking a poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, right. it's just it just doesn't work. So the, I think it's so important that people understand that when you forgive someone, you really aren't doing it for that person. You're doing it for yourself. You're giving it up so you don't carry that pain with you. And, you know, people go, I don't want to let that person off the hook. Well, that person probably doesn't even feel it. They're on their lives. They've moved on. I mean, if you if you forgive and it leads to reconciliation, that would be ideal. I mean, possibly forgiveness, reconciliation will even result in a change in the behavior of the person with whom you have been in conflict. But, you know, in, in many cases, that is, that is not possible. Mm-hmm. So, like, so it's, it's it's largely about yourself. Yeah. And and if you if you can give it up, your your demeanor shifts. You know, if you're no longer carrying that anger and that resentment and you just say, Okay, you know, I give it up, I let it go, then that opens the door to reconciliation. But you know, a lot of times it doesn't even have to be reconciliation. I'm I'm thinking about all the divorces I do or the partnerships that break up that I do, you know, partnership agreements or, or you know, people who no longer work for the company that they work for and 
And um, if you carry that anger, I mean, just look what happens. Somebody's angry at school, okay, and then they go and kill all the teachers. Or somebody is, goes what we call postal because they were fired and they never really were respected. Yeah. And so um, so it's, it's this unforgiveness that eats them up that then ends up, you know, as a boomerang against all the other people who are innocent people. So I think forgiveness is a, a critical thing for each one of us to learn how to do. And part of it is just really understanding each of our part of it. So did you find, did you, when you were going through your own, you know, when you ran away and you went to a new life, I mean, did you look at any part of it that might you know, what you know now you might have done differently? Uh it was um, well. I, I I have thought about that many times. Um, it was a it was a difficult situation. It was almost like a zero sum game. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's best to have a mixed sum game where you know if you make a, a compromise, somebody else compromises, you somehow meet in the middle. Um, and I I sometimes think uh, the critical event which changed the course of the main character's life uh, could not have uh, could not have been worked out too much differently. Uh, there are uh, you know that I, I chose the title of this book, Fate, Choice, and Chance. By the way, I don't mean to digress from your question. No, because I was going to ask you that anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, W.H. Auden wrote, wrote an essay called The Quest Hero. And in that book, in that essay, he says that history is shaped by the interaction of fate, choice, and chance. Their fate you could interpret as um, your um, family traditions, uh, your social and, economic, the social and economic circumstances of your birth, the town you grow up in, genetics, things that you cannot change. There may be some situation over which you have very little influence. Like you, you can, you can uh, describe that is fate. Then there are random events which interact with fate, resulting in choices. When I when I think back on that critical event, I'm not sure. I mean, it was it was sort of a fateful event. I'm not sure it could have been. It could have. There was there <laughs> there was an element of free will here. It could have changed. It could have been handled differently. The result could have been different. But um, the main character was in a in a rather ticklish situation. If he had compromised with the people with whom he was in conflict, it would have had serious consequences for his marriage. So he made certain choices which preserved the integrity of his marriage, but there were other personal costs that came along with that. And I think, you know, I, since that was an autobiographical event, something that actually happened in my life, when I think back on it, I'm not sure I would have done things different. And, but and, uh, nonetheless, from this perspective, I'm able to forgive people with whom I was in conflict at the time. And, and that's what's really important to think that you don't have to reconcile with people. Sometimes the best solution is to leave the situation, is to get out of it, is to start a new life, is to make that choice, that choice that, that changes your entire life, which obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're not in Canada, you're in the United States, you went to school here, you did all these things. I mean, so all this stuff that's similar to the to your hero, and I think you would call him a hero, wouldn't you? Well, he's he's the main character. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all, I mean, life is a journey. Uh, you know, we all travel, we have different different experiences, but I think all of, all of us would say at the end that life has been a journey. Um, you know, and you wonder, and in the foreword, to the, my book, I quote from uh, a poem by T.S. Eliot, Bernd, uh, Norton, and uh, you know, I can just read it. Yeah. Um, time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction.
abstraction remaining a perpetual possibility only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. Footfalls echo in the memory down the passage we did not take, towards the door we never opened, into the Rose Garden. <clears throat> and I think that that quote sort of summarizes the book. That, you know, it's, uh, there were avenues which were not explored, doors which were not opened. And in the later stages of your life, you sit back and you think, what could I have done differently? Should I have made that decision or a different one? Um, and you realize, you know, that some of the decisions you made may have been wrong, but some of the decisions you made were right, that you wouldn't have made a different decision, even though it was a very difficult decision to make. Um, but those decisions, really, And yeah. maybe you develop a better understanding also of the people with whom you were in conflict. Um, you know, there's more empathy. Yes. And from the distance of time, um, you're able to forgive. You can understand the situation they were in, and you realize that what happened wasn't devastating for your own life, that actually it may have pushed you in the right direction, in a better direction. Yeah. So if you were to give someone some advice, young people who might be listening to this on the campus and, and thinking about this, you know, because you and I are from about the same generation, okay? And so we can look back in our lives and, and see things differently than we saw them when we were younger. So if you had a piece of advice to people right now as they go through their own challenges and their own pain with their families and everything else, what would that be? Uh, even when things look pretty black, do not despair, be resilient, be adaptable, don't lose faith in yourself, and um, eventually you'll be able to work out a solution. Yeah, and embrace the conflict as a, as a lesson. Right. That That's what I've learned, is that every conflict has a solution in it, and every conflict is an opportunity for growth. And so, with that, we are out of time. So, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you just give uh, your, your website, and uh, people can learn more about you and your book. Uh, my website is www.jeffreyhepburn.com And that's Jeffrey spelled G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y H-E-P-B-U-R-N That's correct. So thank you so much Jeffrey and good luck with your book Fate, Choice, and Chance an Immigrant's Quest and uh, we're glad you came from Canada to the United States. Thank you very much and thank you for inviting me uh, onto your program. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, you can listen to archived interviews, you can download podcasts, and you can read our articles and find out more about conflict resolution. And of course, we welcome your emails. So please write us at um, right there on the website and we hope to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, which airs every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And I'm so pleased to welcome back Lieutenant Mike Gavin for our Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, what, we talked before about how, that Mission Viejo was rated number third in the nation, number one in California for least number of crimes. But, you know, we didn't really talk about what you do and what your duties are as chief of police services for Mission Viejo. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, my job is just to oversee the daily operations of our organization, and we, we have 66 employees in our police services division, and and um, I just want to make sure it runs smooth. I, I deal with the budget issues and make sure we stay under budget, and, and I work with the department heads uh, from the other uh, city departments, uh, such as Parks and Recs and Public Works, to ensure safety in the parks or to uh, deal with maybe issues with traffic engineering. So it, it's, a, it's sort of uh, managing your people as well as managing your budget like any any manager would do and, and just uh, trying to keep everyone happy and efficient. Sounds like being a good orchestra leader. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> now, um, is, um, is, how, how does it work that, well, let me, we're going to cut that part out and I'll just leave it, just mark it okay. down. Um, so I understand that the you're part of the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Now, how does that work? A lot of people don't understand that as you, as Chief of Police Services for Mission Viejo, that you're also part of the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Could you explain how that works? Yes, it's um, a unique dynamic. What uh, Mission Viejo chose to do was rather than start up their own police department, was to contract with the Sheriff's Department back when they incorporated in 1988. And so as part of the contract service, and there's uh, approximately 12 cities in the county that do contract, what they get is they each year we go over a contract of what they what they would like, how many employees, and um, and then uh, I fulfill that. So I I work for the sheriff's department and I ha- and I work under the south operations captain and I also work for the city manager here at city hall. So um, in that respect, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm still a member of the sheriff's department, but I oversee the police services. So it's it's the contract situation that that we have with many of our south county cities where it uh, it behooves them financially to contract with a large agency like us where we can offer so many wonderful services uh, within the contract and, um, and, and also be able to save the city money and less overhead for them if they had their own police department. And I would think it's great coordination for the whole county, too. If there's a problem, you're, really in, you're right in there to communicate effectively. Well, it's very insightful because that that really is, uh, we have so many resources around the county. If there was any type of major event that would occur that we could that we could call in for assistance from our personnel that work in our jails or our courts, and that, that's a real big benefit of contracting with us is that uh, just massive amount of resources that we can bring to bear on uh, if a major incident did occur in any of our contract cities. Sounds great. So why don't you just give your website and then we'll go. Well, uh, there's two websites, actually. Uh, for city residents, they can go to the cityofmissionviejo.org and just uh, click on city services and uh, police services, and they could reach our website there. Or they can go to the ocsd.org website and just go to patrol areas, and they could uh, locate the Mission Viejo um, area, a patrol area, that direction as well. So either way, they can find us on the web. Well, thank you, Mike. Gavin, you are just wonderful. And I appreciate all that you're doing as Chief of Police Services for Mission Viejo and also for the Sheriff's Department. So we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Mari. 